Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. We welcome you to the worship service here at Bay Area. I want to get right to it this morning. And I want to begin with a parable. And I'm going to tell you right up front, this is not a biblical parable. You won't find this story in the Bible. I am told that this parable is an ancient Chinese parable handed down for generations. I'm also going to tell you right up front, this parable is a little bit confusing. A traveler is fleeing a tiger who is chasing him. The traveler makes it to the edge of a cliff and he sees a vine hanging over the cliff. He grabs the vine and lowers himself over the cliff to escape the tiger. Below him he hears a noise, he looks down and he sees another tiger on the ground below. So he's suspended now between a tiger above and a tiger below. Holding on to a vine, he looks up and he sees two mice, a brown mouse and a white mouse, gnawing on the vine that he's holding on to. It's obvious they're going to chew through this vine pretty quickly. In front of him on the side of the cliff is a cluster of grapes. Holding on to the vine with one hand, he takes a grape with the other and eats it. The grape was delicious. The end. I didn't say it was a good parable, but that's it. That's the story. That's what I'm starting with. And the first time I heard that story, I said, that's not a good story. I mean, if you're going to pass a, a story down for generations, why don't make something a little bit more applicable, a little bit more understandable? I don't like that story. It's so unfinished, right? What happens to the guy? Does he get eaten? Do the mice chew through the, 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 the vine? And what's the deal with the grapes? Who would stop and eat a grape in the middle of a crisis like that? I'm not sure what that parable was intended to teach. But after some thought, here's the lesson I, I took away from it. I think sometimes we get so focused on wanting to know what's going to happen in the future that we miss what's right in front of us. You know, we fail to enjoy the blessings that are staring us in the face because we're so worried about what's around the next corner. I don't know if that's what the, the Chinese meant for us to take away from that or not. That's what I took from it. Why do we worry so much about the future? What am I going to do next year if I have to sell my house, move somewhere? What am I going to find out from the doctor if I go for those tests? How am I going to keep up with all this stuff that my boss keeps piling on me? How am I going to get my car fixed when your know, money is so tight? And I'm not suggesting that those things aren't important. Just the opposite. My point is those things are important. And you have got to deal with things like that. I mean, life is difficult. Life is hard and life is really stressful. Yet all day long, I'm surrounded by all these blessings from God. Even in the stressful days. Even when times are really tough, God keeps putting grapes in front of me. And so my question this morning is, is it possible, even in the worst of times, to see and recognize and enjoy the blessings that God keeps putting in front of us? Even when things are really going bad, even when we would never write this story for ourselves, is it possible to still recognize and enjoy the blessings that God is putting in front of us? And since we're all in church this morning, the answer is obviously yes, right? Sure. 
We can see and we can enjoy blessings from God even in the darkest days. But you know what? That is really easy to say in here. That is really difficult to do out there when we're in those dark days and we're going through those tough times. Last week we began this new sermon series that I'm calling, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? And if you'll remember, that title is borrowed from the old game show To Tell the Truth and Nowhere Else. Okay, it's from To Tell the Truth, remember that. But we're talking about the I Am statements of Jesus in the book of John. Seven times in the book of John, Jesus says, I Am, and then Jesus Himself describes Himself. Last week we were in John chapter 6. We talked about Jesus being the bread of life. This week we're going to fast forward a little bit to John chapter 15 where Jesus tells His disciples, I am the true vine. We're going to talk about that statement a little bit this morning. What exactly was Jesus meaning when He said that? What was He trying to convey? What was He trying to teach? And just like last week, before we even get to the text, I want to be sure we understand the context. Because if you miss the context of what's going on when Jesus makes this statement, the statement itself won't make nearly as much sense to you. In John chapter 15, in the previous two chapters, uh, John 13 and 14, Jesus has been sharing what we call the Last Supper with His disciples. He's in an upper room. He is sharing the Passover meal. So this takes place at the very end of Jesus' ministry. The cross is just around the corner. He's he shared the Passover meal with his apostles. He's washed the apostles' feet. He's predicted the betrayal of Judas he, by Judas. He's predicted the denial that Peter is going to, to state in just a few hours. And then at the end of chapter 14, Jesus tells his friends, Come now, let's leave. Matthew and Mark's account tell us that they sang a song before they left, but they leave that upper room and they head towards the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, scholars have debated for a long time whether chapter 15 takes place still in the upper room or if chapter 15 actually takes place on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't know that it's really that important where Jesus said what He said. But what he says in chapter 15 is extremely important and incredibly powerful. By the way, as he was headed to the Garden of Gethsemane, he would have undoubtedly passed some vineyards. Let's take a look at the text. John chapter 15. This is Jesus, of course, speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, 
remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I've loved you. How many times have you read that passage? How many classes have you sat through listening to someone teach about that section of Scripture? How many sermons have you heard on this passage of Scripture? I am the vine, you are the branches. How many times, if you're old enough, did you sing that old song? I am the vine, you are the branches. For me, it's somewhere between a lot and a whole lot. I mean, this is a really familiar passage. And for me, just about every time I'm shared with this passage, every time I sit in a class, every time I hear a sermon, every time I even think about it, I walk away feeling really guilty. I always walk away from this passage feeling like such an incredible underachiever. You need to bear fruit. You need to be bearing much fruit. And if you're not bearing much fruit, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to be, you're going to be like a branch that withers and dies, gets thrown in the fire. That's what's going to happen to you if you don't bear much fruit. You're going to burn in the fire. By the way, <laughs> that is exactly what Jesus says. But don't forget the context. Jesus is on His way to the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what's about to happen. He knows what's going to take place in just the next few hours. He knows what's in store for Him. He knows what's in store for these men in the coming hours and days and weeks. I don't think it was Jesus' intention to tear these guys down when He made this statement. I don't think it was His intention to make them feel ashamed. I think it was His intention to encourage them, to build them up, to give them a great deal of hope, because He knows they're going to need it. See, I think there's a lot of really good news in this passage of Scripture. Yeah, we are commanded to bear fruit. Absolutely. In fact, we're commanded to bear much fruit. But the good news is, I don't have to do that on my own. The good news is, I can allow Jesus to work through me to bear fruit. That's a completely different uh, matter. In Galatians chapter 5, another pretty familiar passage, the Apostle Paul makes that distinction when he contrasts the works of the flesh to the, the fruit of the Spirit. He says in verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Then he lists them. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The old King James Version calls those the, the works of the flesh. And then Paul is going to contrast that by what he calls the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul says against such things there is no law. In this passage, the good things that our lives produce, they're not called works. They're called fruit. Fruit is something that just naturally happens when a healthy 
branch is attached to the true vine. It just happens. When you take a healthy branch and attach it, it is attached to a healthy vine, the result is going to be growth, right? The result is going to be fruit. See, if we are, if we are attached to the true vine, we don't have to produce fruit. We don't make it happen. We just allow it to happen. We just allow Jesus to work through us and in us. This morning, I want to share with you three quick points that I think Jesus is, is teaching as He leaves the upper room and talking about vines and branches. All three of my points begin with the same letter because I'm a preacher and that's what we do. Hopefully it will make it easier for you to remember. They all begin with the letter R. And the first thing that Jesus is going to talk about is this relationship. Jesus understands He's going to be leaving these men very soon. In fact, He's alluded to that uh, in the upper room. They had a hard time kind of grasping exactly what He was, was talking about. But He knows that, that He's going to be leaving. These men are going to be on their own. He's actually not going to be on their own, but Jesus isn't going to be there. How are these uneducated men going to face the might of Rome with the message of Jesus? Now, the natural inclination for someone given a, a daunting task like that might be to say, you know, I can't, I won't, I give up, I quit. Or it might be to say, well, let me figure out how the best way to do this is. Jesus realized neither of those options were going to be very viable. He wants them to understand there's a relationship involved between the branch and the, the vine. And the relationship is summed up in one word, and that is dependence. The branch is dependent on the vine. It's never the other way around. The branch is dependent on the vine. You know, sometimes we like to turn it around. We like to think that we're the vine and Jesus is the branch and we'll attach Jesus to us when it suits us. You know, we have our own lives and we've got our own dreams and our own agendas and you know, our own hobbies and our own timetables and if it suits us, we'll attach Jesus to our lives for a while. But that's not the relationship that Jesus demands. He is not dependent on us. We are dependent on Him. 100%. It's never the other way around. And with that relationship comes a responsibility. Our second R. Okay, what's the responsibility here in John chapter 15? Well, it's to bear fruit right? In fact, it's to bear much fruit, right? And it is. If Christian is not bearing fruit, something's not right. But don't miss the emphasis, at least one of the emphasis that I think Jesus makes in this passage. Look again at, at uh, verses 4 through 8. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Anybody pick up on a theme that's going on there? 
The underlining should have helped a little bit. <laughs> Depending on how you read it, what version you read, and you know how you decipher it there, ten times in those four verses, Jesus says, you remain in me. See, I'm afraid if we're not careful, it's possible to get so caught up with the fruit that we forget about the vine. I mean, we're to bear fruit, absolutely. But sometimes we get so obsessed with the fruit that's out here. Where's the fruit? We've got to bear more fruit. We've got to bear much fruit. We've got to bear better fruit. We get obsessed with the fruit. And we forget about being attached to the vine. Jesus says, remain in me. Remain in me. Remain in me. He uses a metaphor that they're going to understand, a branch and a vine. You've got to remain in me. I'll take care of the fruit if you're attached to me. Now, again, don't misunderstand me. That is not to say that we're not to be growing individually, collectively, spiritually, numerically. Again, if we're not growing, something's wrong. If we're not fulfilling the great commission that we talked about just a couple weeks ago, something is really wrong. God's people, God's church, we're designed to grow. All I'm saying is that'll never happen unless we're attached to the vine. I want to share a, a personal story with you. I think I can share it. I think the statute of limitations has run out as far as child protective services is. <laughs> and some of you might have heard me tell this years ago when it actually happened, almost 20 years ago. My family was in Clanton, Alabama. We were there uh, actually for the funeral of my father-in-law. And the whole extended family was there, and we were going to church on a Sunday morning. And we were all leaving from the same place. So there was uncles and aunts and cousins, and, and about six vehicles left from the same place. And all the kids divvied up because they wanted to ride with their cousins. We get to church. We go to church. The plan was after church, we were going to all meet at Captain D's for lunch. So my wife... Uh, my daughter Maggie, we're there talking to some people. One of the last to leave the building, we look around and we're missing a kid. My son Will said, I'm going with Uncle Jay. Okay, good. You go with Uncle Jay. We can't find Nate, my youngest, who at the time was six. The building is empty, basically. They're locking up. And Martha and I, well, where's Nate? We searched the building, not a big building. We look in all the rooms. Nate's not there. Well, he had to have gone with one of the cousins, right? He actually rode to church with an aunt. So he must have just got back in her car, right? I mean, he's got to be with her, right? So they lock the doors. We leave. We didn't have a cell phone 20 years ago. So we are driving to Captain D's. It's about 10 minutes away. And the whole time we're like, he's there, right? He's got to be there. We pull into Captain D's. Martha said, let me out here. She gets out. She runs inside. I'm parking the car. But before I can get it parked, Martha's running back out the door. And I can tell by the look on her face, Nate's not there. I know, we are terrible parents. <laughs> She's running back to the car. Her sister is, is running right behind her. They jump in the car. And to this day, I can remember the feeling I had. That kind of constricting feeling. I don't know where Nate is. He's not here, and I don't think he was there. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, on, the, on the verge of sheer panic. 
Go back to the church. Why go to the church? Nobody's at the church. Go back. Maybe they found him. Maybe, you know, maybe somebody's there. So I go back to the, you know, head back to the church. Martha's sister does have a cell phone. It's like the size of a shoebox, but it's a cell phone. So I'm calling the church. Why call the church? Nobody's there. Maybe somebody came back. So she dials the phone, and, and this is what I hear on our end of the line, and she's in the back seat. Yes, hello, this is Ruth Ann. I... Nate? What are you doing answering the phone? Who is there with you? Martha grabs the phone. Nate, do not move. Do not hang up this phone. Talk to me. We're going to be there in five minutes. Do not hang up the phone. So we pull into the parking lot. Okay, hang up the phone. Go open the door. Nate opens the door. He's six years old. Now, I expected to find Nate as panicked as I was. He wasn't. He wasn't panicked at all. He wasn't crying. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't worried. In fact, he was having a great time. What happened was he drifted off from, away from us and found the ice machine in the kitchen, started playing in the ice machine. The door was kind of uh, opened and he was behind the door sort of. And I remember looking in the kitchen for him. But I didn't look behind the door where he was. We looked in all the other rooms. We left. He's not there. We get back. He's fine. He's happy. He was wandering around the church doing his thing. He was close to the office when the phone rang, so he answered the phone. <laughs> Why not, right? He's six years old. He never realized anything was wrong. It never occurred to him that he was in any kind of danger. He never realized he was separated from us. But you know what? I knew it. I realized the danger that he was in. And I was panicked. And I went after him. How do you think Jesus feels when we separate ourselves from him? Even if we don't care. Even if we don't know. Even if we're kind of just drifting off doing our thing and we're happy as could be, how do you think Jesus feels when He knows we're in danger? When He knows we're not attached to the vine? i got to think He's got that same feeling. That same sense of you have got to get back here where you belong. He understands that we've got to be attached to the vine. And that's why He came after us. That's why He said in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And if we do remain in that love, we'll realize that third R, which is a reward. Jesus makes it clear that there's a reward involved with being attached to the true vine. Okay, what's the reward for being attached to the vine, for remaining in Christ? There's all sorts of blessings, even right in this passage, that Jesus uh, relates to. The, the fruit that we bear, you know, other disciples, as well as the, the fruit of the Spirit that, uh, that Paul mentions. Jesus talks about the promise of His presence, the assurance of that relationship, the answer of prayer. But don't miss verse 11. Verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I like the way the Living Bible puts it. I have told you this so that you'll be filled with joy. Yes, your cup of joy will overflow. 
Jesus says, here's one of your rewards. Your cup of joy is going to overflow if you're attached to the vine. I want to wrap up with another story. I know I'm overloading you with stories today, but uh, I'm telling this one mainly because it's one of my favorite stories. I asked Tyrone to lead just a little talk with Jesus before I got up here this morning. I vividly remember in 1978 watching a television program, like a 60-minute kind of thing, where the, the southern preacher who wrote that song, a guy by the name of Cleveland Derricks, was featured. He wrote about 300 different gospel songs, none more famous than just a little talk with Jesus. He wrote it in 1937, in the middle of the Great Depression. He sold the publishing rights to that song to Stamps Baxter Publishing for $5. Just a Little Talk with Jesus has been recorded by more artists than any other gospel song in the world, with the exception of Amazing Grace. It has earned millions of dollars in royalty fees. Cleveland Derricks never saw a penny of that. In fact, he said one time that he was happy just to get $5 during the Depression for a song that he wrote. By 1977, Cleveland Derricks was in the final stages of colon cancer. Due to mounting hospital costs, he was completely penniless. A music uh, producer in Nashville heard about his plight and recognized the kind of contribution that he had made to gospel music and wanted to help. He organized a benefit concert, the proceeds to go towards the medical expenses of this uh, elderly gentleman had different gospel groups come in to Ryman Auditorium in 1978 and put on a gospel concert. And the highlight of the concert was going to be Cleveland Derricks singing the song he wrote 40 years earlier. Well, as the concert grew nearer, Cleveland Derricks grew weaker. And it wasn't exactly clear if he was going to be able to make the concert, let alone sing his song. But he was determined to make it there that evening, the Ryman Auditorium was packed. For an hour and a half, different gospel groups performed. And then the guest of honor is introduced at the very end of the show. And they wheel this tiny little man out into the middle of the stage. Looked like he weighed about 100 pounds at the time. He had his head down, his eyes were closed, he had a blanket over his wheelchair. His family was on the stage acting as sort of his backup. And his son took the microphone and he said, listen, my dad's pretty weak and I'm not sure he can be able to sing a song for you tonight, but he made us promise that we'd give him the chance. So here's my father, Cleveland Derricks, singing just a little talk with Jesus. And he motions to this lady on the side of the stage on the piano and she starts playing the introduction to just a little talk with Jesus and it comes time for him to sing and he didn't budge. He doesn't lift his head. He doesn't open his eyes. He doesn't sing. And there's just this awkward silence as everybody's staring at this little man sitting in a wheelchair under the spotlight. And his son kind of motions to the, to the pianist again, say, don't try it again. And she's on the piano again. She starts doing the introduction. She's crying. It comes back around, it's time for him to sing. His head is still bowed, his eyes are still closed. He doesn't move. He doesn't make a sound, he doesn't move a muscle. And again, there's this long, awkward silence. 
And finally the son says, listen, I don't think my dad's going to be able to sing a song tonight, but I want you to know on behalf of the family, we are so honored and we are so blessed to have you all here with us tonight and, and putting on this concert. And as the son is speaking, Cleveland Derricks lifts his hand and puts it on his son's hand. And everybody gets quiet. And of course the camera zooms in on this man's face. And again, there's this long silence. And he very slowly picks up his head. And in a voice about ten octaves lower than mine, incredibly low, incredibly slow, he begins, I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. And that's all he sang. He closed his eyes again. He put his head down. He didn't move a muscle. You could hear a pin drop in that auditorium. Everybody's crying. And then somebody on the stage started, Now let us have a little talk. And the, everybody that had been singing came back on the stage. And everybody said, Let's have a little talk with Jesus. The band starts playing. Everybody in the auditorium stands up. They start singing. The place just starts rocking with, Have a little talk with Jesus. Let us. And it's just it's one of the most moving things I've ever seen on TV. I was in college. I was bawling my eyes out. On the way to the cross, Jesus said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. You stay attached to me. You remain in me. And he talked about a relationship. And he talked about a responsibility. And he talked about a reward. You know, if I had to sum up Christianity in just one sentence, it might very well be, I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. That's the vine. That's the real Jesus. That's who we attach ourselves to and stay attached to. This morning, are you attached to the vine? The true vine? Are you 100% completely dependent on the vine. Have you worked it out where the vine's attached to you? Do you kind of call on Jesus when you need Him? Are you attached to the vine? It's a question you've got to answer. It's a question only you can answer for yourself because that's who the real Jesus is. The life-giving vine. The one who produces the fruit. He's the vine. We're the branches. Let's stand and sing.